Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You might notice that the price of some individual items has gone up in recent months. 10p there, 20p here, £2 on something else. But when the cashier totals up that trolley, you notice. When the bills come in, you notice. And when you fill up your car, you notice. All of us have noticed that it's getting harder and harder to get to the end of the month and to reach the next paycheck. Inflation, the rate at which prices rise, is officially at 9%, but for many it feels much higher. Basically inflation turns a healthy economy into a sick one because it becomes a process of constant catch-up. We are in a cost-of-living crisis. What exactly is it? Whose fault is it? And how do we get out of it? Like you, I'm confused. So let's ask the Belfast Telegraph's business editor, Margaret Canning. Margaret, welcome once again to the Bell Tell. Thank you very much, Kieran. Look, let's start at the beginning, because we have a little time here to discuss it in the podcast. We're throwing out this term, and you hear it all the time now, cost of living crisis. What exactly is that? A cost of living crisis, Kieran, is when everything is going up in price and our wages can't keep up. Our living costs, rent and mortgages are going up, as are day-to-day costs like fuel, food and energy. We are all worse off than we were, unless you've been lucky enough maybe to get a pay rise, which is more likely if you've been working in a sector like IT I heard from one boss today who told me that someone earning 40000 in a mid-ranking job in IT two or three years ago could now be on 65000 But that level of wage inflation is the exception rather than the rule. So it affects all but a few lucky people in a few sectors and obviously the super rich, it will not affect them. But for low to middle earners, This is something which really affects us because the price of everything, as you said, has gone up and our wages haven't. Yeah. Even if you are on a really good salary, even if you are in the the fabled 1%, you're still going to notice your costs going up. It may not diminish your quality of life quite as much as it will do to someone on a lower salary or someone on benefits. But it's noticeable for everyone because everybody has the same day-to-day expenses like fuel, food, energy, 
and for everyone, those are going up. But of course, the impact that it has on you personally depends on what kind of salary you're earning if you are fortunate enough to be in work in the first place. So obviously, food, we can't live without food. It would be difficult to live without heating. And in the modern reality, we can't do without electricity. So it really comes down to those. Those are the absolute essentials in our society. And they've all gone up. They have gone up in the case of food. Farmers who are producing our food, they're facing rising costs. Farmers talk about the three Fs, fuel, feed and fertiliser. All of those have been going up in price. Then the energy companies, electricity, gas companies, they're facing a rising cost in natural gas, which has been exacerbated by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But that was already in train before the invasion of Ukraine at the end of February. And COVID-19 has had an impact as well because the post-lockdown periods triggered a huge rebirth in demand and that led to prices going up really quickly because we had long periods of lockdown when people weren't using as much as energy as much energy then all of a sudden you have a return of normality therefore there was a huge jump in demand so prices went up at that point well let's talk about that um, because that's something, obviously the home heating oil is something we notice, but we tend to say, we tend to, I well, I tend to say, would you put 200 into that? Uh, and I mean 200 pounds worth. And it was yes. recently, uh, someone said, you know, that's not an awful lot at the moment. But one of the things we notice, when you put the diesel in the car, you see it right there. And maybe for people, it's twice a week, three times a week. For me, it's about once a week. And I have noticed it, it doubled because I have, I have the same car yeah. And, and uh, you know, I went from maybe £52 and then suddenly I found myself, how, how can £85 worth of diesel actually fit in that car? Can I ask, and it's a huge question, can we just blame the war in Ukraine for all of that? No, we can't because we had the long periods of lockdown through 2020 and 2021 while we were dealing with COVID-19. That led to a slump in demand, but then the reopening of global economies led to a big jump in demand, which led to increases in the cost of fuels and increase in the cost of diesel and petrol. So we can't really blame the invasion of Ukraine for petrol pump prices. That aspect of the cost of living crisis had been having an impact before the invasion of Ukraine. I've had a look at the latest information from the Consumer Council. Around this time last year, a litre of diesel was almost £1.46. Now it's nearly £1.86. That's a big jump. Then petrol hasn't gone up quite as steeply as diesel. Last year it was maybe £1.43 per litre. Now it's £1.62 a litre. But that has, it sounds like a, you know, 20p per litre increase in the case of petrol, 40p per litre in the case of diesel. That sounds small, it sounds manageable, but really if you're having to fill up your car once a week, twice a week, because you maybe you're having to go back into the office, we all had that long... Or or you drive a van to work. Exactly, yeah. There are many costs that we just can't cut back on and that we just have to swallow, but that doesn't make it any easier because... We're, we're really, you know, people talk and it's a, 
it's a phrase that's bandied around by politicians. We're all in this together. But when it comes to the cost of living crisis, we are all in it together. Not everybody is suffering at the same level, but nobody is immune from these costs. Well, some people might say, some more cynical people might say that BP, for example, have posted record profits. So if we're in it together, I'm not sure major shareholders of BP are really in it together. Yep. Margaret, have some companies just taken advantage of us? The energy company BP has reported the second highest profit in its history. It comes on the back of soaring energy prices, which have left consumers facing big increases to their household bills. Well... That point can be argued, and way back in March, which seems a long, long time ago, the then-Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, who's now our Prime Minister, that just shows how, how quickly events have moved this year, Rishi Sunak introduced a cut in fuel duty tax of 5p, and at that stage, uh, fuel companies were being accused of not passing that on quickly enough. So while I say we're all in this together, I mean... We as members of the public, as consumers, but certainly lots of fuel businesses are doing well out of the present situation. That's not going to last forever for them, but it is frustrating for the rest of us to see those huge profit figures. And that's, I mean, let's let's point a few fingers here because... um, I think we're being very subtle here. And we're, we, we, some people are just saying, you know, look, this is all Putin's fault. All that people are saying is Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng. Yeah. Some people even say it was Brexit. And obviously mm-hmm. everyone agrees that mm-hmm. COVID must have had some effect. Yeah. Is, it, is, is it too simplistic to blame one person or one group of people? Or is, it, is this a global economic event? Yeah, globally inflation is high, which means higher prices all over the world. And interest rates are having to go up globally, but Putin's war in Ukraine has exacerbated food price inflation and fuel price inflation. And it's such a volatile situation that it has unsettled global economies. Brexit has diminished the UK standing internationally and diminished its economic prowess. I think there as there is a state of denial and that discussion isn't really happening to the extent that perhaps it should. And Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng's mini budget caused a huge amount of damage. And even, you know, six weeks on when the Bank of England governor Andrew Bailey was increasing interest rates last week. He talked about how the British financial system could have been ours from meltdown because of the shocks in that mini budget. So I think all of those factors, Putin, Brexit, trust, COVID, they're all to blame, maybe not to a, to the same degree, but they've already contributed to to the situation we're in and I think if we were to get particularly frustrated we would you know point the finger at Putin because on on so ma- so on so many levels the humanitarian impact on Ukraine is horrendous then the economic impact has been really drastic for all of us but the actions of Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng were a huge unforced error we didn't have to have that budget they carried on regardless and went against all forms of economic sense in introducing all of those unfunded budget cuts. So really, I think if you 
wanted to point the finger and you had uh, a, a culprit of sorts, then trust Putin. You could, you can sound off about either of those, but of course Putin is, uh, well... A little I'm, more <laughs> significant of exactly, an historical yeah, character so, yes, than, definitely. than, than, than Liz yeah. Trust. Mm-hmm. You know, having lived through different economic climates and different personal circumstances, I know yeah. that uh, I know that it's great and it's wonderful if you if your paycheck and you're comfortable enough. And what that mm-hmm. means is, you know, you know you can pay your bills and you get to the end of the month just about, and you don't have to. Yeah. But when you when prices start to go up, you start having to check and make sure that there's still money in the bank account yeah. at the end of the month. And slowly but surely, you start checking every week. Mm-hmm. And for many people you check all the time and you check every day because you need to know you don't yeah. you, you've, you've no room to play with and you mm-hmm. need to make everything's a financial decision whether that it's not doesn't it, a financial decision is no longer about getting a new set of chairs for the kitchen financialist decisions start to become should I buy, buy that bar of chocolate mm-hmm. or not mm-hmm. and in even worse circumstances is should I buy or can I buy that brown pasta or not mm-hmm. and those mm-hmm. are when it gets but what are the long-term effects when people start feeling like this, when people start using their savings, when people start feeling that they can't buy, they can't consume that new dress that they want, for example, that luxury item, and when, when people start to reduce their spending, what effect will that have on the economy? It, it's harmful to the economy because demand slows down. People aren't spending as much on luxuries like clothing and I mean dare I said could brown pasta become a luxury because it is marginally more expensive than white pasta so it means that those companies which depend on our discretionary spending like restaurants clothes shops they all suffer a fall in takings and that can lead to more closures that can lead to a higher vacancy rate on the high street and psychologically if you're living from day to day you're living hand to mouth as a consumer you 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 own you own or rent a house you've got a couple of kids you've got a family to feed it really has a very negative impact on your mental health and on your physical health as well if you can't afford to put the heating the heating on so there are huge effects out there on the economy and on people as individuals from having to live from paycheck to paycheck. But the Bank of England would probably say it will slow down the rate of inflation. There will be less disposable income around. So with inflation at 10.1%, according to their latest figures, and interest rates increasing to 3% in order to act as a curb on that inflation, They'll be they'll be thinking, well, there's a downturn in the economy, people are spending less, in fact we're in recession. They'll regard that as necessary pain to contain inflation and bring down interest rates. Well you've used the R word. I have. You've brought I have. it up, Margaret. <laughs> are we facing a recession? And and obviously let's just explain to people. Yeah, because I want this podcast to be as accessible mm-hmm. as, to as many people as possible. Sounds what good. is what is a recession? First of all, so a recession is two quarters of negative growth in the economy. So economists and businesses like to mention to measure out the year in quarters, which are three month periods. So 
UK-wide, there is a figure called GDP, Gross Domestic Product, which measures economic performance. Northern Ireland has a much smaller economy. We don't have GDP, but we have a separate figure to measure economic output. But we can be pretty sure that if the UK is facing a recession, which the Bank of England has said it is, then we're in the same situation, if not already in recession, because we are a smaller economy and less a less robust economy than the rest of the UK. And the Bank of England, as you said, there are many ways of de- well, we'll, we'll not speak we'll about not, yeah. economic theory, but mm-hmm. but but what they're trying to do is as a start to lower that inflation rate, and that's why they're putting up interest rates. But interest rates will affect people with mortgages, Margaret. Yes. So let's uh-huh. let's talk about mortgages for a second. Yeah, mortgage holders can feel an immediate impact from an increase in interest rates if you're on a variable or tracker mortgage. So. The interest increase we saw last week from 2.25 to 3% will have meant that people on a tracker or variable rate, which respond immediately to what's going on with Bank of England rates, their mortgages will have gone up by maybe 30 or £40 a month. But a lot of us are on fixed rate mortgages where we fix the rate of interest that we pay on our home loans for maybe two, five or ten years typically. So as a result of the harebrained mini budget from Liz Truss and Quasi Quartang, mortgage rates went up to above 6% for the first time since 2008. So that's adding thousands of pounds to annual mortgage repayments for someone who's on one of those fixed rate mortgages. And of course, you could be in the middle or maybe you changed to a new fixed rate mortgages much earlier this year, but there are many people who are just coming to the end of a fixed rate mortgage term at the minute. They're renewing or finding a new mortgage and they'll be subject to those new and higher mortgage rates, which is not a very comfortable place to be. So it is frightening for people. And I mean, it's one thing to hear the reasons for the increase in interest rates from a very sober figure like Andrew Bailey, the Bank of England governor. But when we heard the mini budget from Quasi Quartang and just the the really bizarre ideas that, they, that he and Liz Truss had, the instant increase in mortgage rates that that had, it's really frustrating for people that we had people at the top of government who were out of control, who who weren't listening, didn't want to listen, didn't want to engage with experts. So we are still saddled with the consequences of that mini budget, unfortunately. Now, there there is um, in the works a £400 payment to help us all out with energy costs. That seems to be a little delayed. I think a lot of people really need that. Where are we with that? Well, that is hugely frustrating for people that we haven't received that. That was announced much earlier in the year. And because we don't have a devolved government at the moment, there's no clear cut way for that to be distributed to people. So the Department of Business in London is in charge of distributing that and they're still trying to figure out how to get that to people and the latest we heard from Graham Stewart the Minister of State for Climate 
was that they were trying to find a solution to the differences in the Northern Ireland energy market to make sure that people get the help they need. But that's not great for people who heard about that 400 payment months and months ago and who have been told at different points that it was going to come in November. We heard that uh, a few, maybe last month or the month, month before that, that it would be coming in November and of course you start to budget in your head on the basis that you get that 400 so we just really don't know at what point we're going to get that so and the thing is it's November it's uh, as mm-hmm. we as we speak and it's yeah. unseasonably uh, warm mm-hmm. but it's going to get cold it probably will yeah it, it will we'll all be keeping our fingers crossed that that mild weather continues but yeah as you say I mean, winters can get really cold. Who knows where we're going to be in January or February as far as temperatures are concerned. But the one positive, I mean, while we are still waiting for that £400 payment, we are already feeling the benefits of the Energy Price Guarantee, which was launched in Northern Ireland on November the 1st. That offers, that means that we have cheaper electricity and gas bills because the government has stepped in to guarantee the price that's going to be paid to suppliers, enabling them to charge you and I less for gas and electricity. So that is one really big positive and that's something that everybody's thankful for. But still, it would be great to have clarity on that £400 payment. You mentioned Stormont. Yes. Uh, Stormont is moribund. It will not come back in the short term. Some more pessimistic commentators think it's never coming back. We don't have an economy minister. We don't have a finance minister. Are we left economically defenceless in the face of this acute crisis? Yes and no. We're economically defenceless in the sense that we can't come up with any or we can't implement any of our own solutions to the situation that we're in. We are lucky in that we have a benefactor in the form of the London government. There Could there be something coming from the Bank of Rishi and Jeremy next week? There could be an announcement about an increase in public services spending in the short term to address inflation and pay pressures. But in the medium to longer term, there are, are going to be public sector cuts which we're going to have to face up to. And if we did have our own functioning executive, we would be able to come up with arrangements for Northern Ireland. We would have more certainty over the £400 and we might have even received that by now. And we look back to the COVID-19 period, a horrendous time. Nobody wants to be back there. But at least we had an executive in place which was able to come up with purpose-built solutions for business, such as business rate holidays. And there was a comfort in knowing that we had local representatives to help us through those times. But we don't have that at the minute. And lots of businesses are saying that things are now tougher than they were during the COVID-19 lockdown because there are... Lockdowns were such a blanket form of measure and there was relief there to help you through, whereas day-to-day 
at the moment the situation is so much more volatile we really we really don't know what will happen in ukraine and if russia is going to escalate its aggression maybe target other countries so it really is such an uncertain situation that businesses could almost be think, feeling nostalgic for 2020 and 2021 because things are tougher in different ways at the moment. Margaret, thank you very much. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar. The sound design was by Graham Davidson. The clips you heard were from Sky, the BBC, RTE, Channel 4. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can find many more like it on belfasttelegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. When you get an Irish independent digital subscription, you don't just get access to the news at your fingertips. For a limited time, you'll also receive a €75 O'Neill's gift card. So what are you waiting for? Get the whole kit and caboodle. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish Independent. Terms and conditions apply.